Hello, my name is Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we've got for you this week. Coming up today, we'll see how Virgin Atlantic plans to say goodbye to the Boeing 747, and I'll take a look at why we're excited for the arrival of Emirates A380s. Boeing has a better week with a new order for the MAX, and Joe will tell us why airlines are urging European governments to scrap quarantine restrictions. Finally, Tom will tell us all about Germany's runway problem. So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And this week, I wanted to start because I just have so much to talk about. Um, So uh, fasten your seatbelts, sit back and relax. Um, Tray tables up, seatbacks in the upright position and uh, off we go. Yeah. Um, So I wanted to start with um, British 747s, but actually for a change, instead of British Airways, I am going to go on and on about Virgin today. And that is because... um, like. Virgin was never as big an um, operator at the 747 as British Airways, understandably, um, but it was their first aircraft type, so it is of some significance to the carrier. Um, and obviously, earlier this year, we must have talked about it in a previous podcast, um, the airline said that it was getting rid of all of its 747s, um, and actually, there was a big outpour on um social media of people saying like, oh, I'd booked um, my holiday in August to say goodbye to the 747. And That's right, because they were that. on the way out, but yeah. uh, they just went a little bit sooner than we expected. Yeah. Um, but what I think is really cool is that um, the airline is still planning one last special goodbye for its last 747-400s. Um, so on the 12th of December... Um, People who have managed to get tickets, which we'll go on to in the next bit, is um, they've will get to experience what it's like to travel on, uh, or what um, not to travel on the aircraft, but to be on the aircraft with um, a real special theme. And it would only cost fifty quid, so um, it's really quite cheap um, considering what you get. But um, when you arrive at the Virgin Atlantic hangar, you'll be given a champagne. Um, experience in the upper deck of the aircraft, um, which is kind of them playing on words because um, they're serving bubbles in the bubble. (laughs) Nice. I like Um, it. So you get welcomed with champagne in the upper deck. And then following this, you're going to go to um, an upper class suite with uh, free course a la carte meal served. Mm. Um, And while you're eating, um, the airline's pilots of the uh, 747 will recount their experiences flying the Queen of the Skies throughout the years. Um, Nice. And then after that, you get to tour around the aircraft. So um, you get to visit the cargo bay, visit the crew rest area, all of the little bits that you never usually see. Um, Mm, Sounds good. But then the best bit, if you ask me, is that passengers will get to have a photo taken inside one of the aircraft's engines. Oh, awesome. I'd love to do that. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds really cool. Um, I'm guessing yeah. there aren't many tickets, though, because if everybody's getting an upper-class suite, yeah. there's not that many on a 747. I wouldn't like to put my finger on a number, but I'm sure you know, Tom. Um, well, I believe there were only 42 tickets um, for sale for the experience, and they went online at 9am this morning, and um, it seems as though... They went like that, you know. Um, what are you <laughs> expecting, though? Like we said in our article, you know, you've got to be quick to get these if you want them. And yeah, um, I've so far come across one person who has actually got tickets for it. Um, but all of the other people have said like they 
were on right at 9am. They Tickets were still in stock. They managed to get them in their basket. And then by the time they typed their payments details in, they were gone. So I think it was really oh, shame. a case of who can type in their payment details the quickest. Um, <laughs> they should use Google Wallet. It does it for you. <laughs> yeah, that's that's um, that would have been good. But um, sort of then after this, um, the aircraft's going to go off and um, it will um, join Atlas Air alongside three of, uh, two of its sisters. Um, so it's not the end for this aircraft, which is nice because... Um, for quite a few, including uh, V-Big, very big, my favourite um, <laughs> Virgin 747, just because of that um, registration. registration they've, yeah. they've all been um, disposed of, to put it nicely. Um, but it's not just um, the Virgin Atlantic 747s that are being saved. Um, British Airways is also getting in on the action. And on Saturday, uh, we saw its Landor aircraft fly down to Dunsfold, which is home to... Um, the 747 that's always on top gear and in car insurance adverts. Um, yeah. So um, what that means is that one 747 in each of British Airways' significant 747 liveries has now been saved. That's great. I'm so glad they didn't scrap the retro jets because they're just gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's nice that they'll even live on beyond the time that they said they'd keep the livery on it now. Yeah, definitely. Preserved forever, like a mm. proper bit of aviation heritage, as they should be. So, really good. One thing I found interesting about that, though, that I read on social media was that, um, obviously, the engines on um, the Landor 747 are just a different shade of blue um, to do with delivery. Um, but I was reading that um, the aircraft is going to get a couple of engines from other 747s um, that have uh, gone over their maintenance deadlines so you can't use them anymore. They're going to pop them on, take these air engines off, and I don't know if they get sold on to another 747 operator. Oh. Um, and then they're going to repaint the engines that are going on this aircraft. I'd love to know all the reasoning behind that. I guess I guess the engines are still worth something and they can probably, yeah. like you say, we give them a bit of a refurb and sell them on and just stick some knackered old ones on the plane that's never going to go anywhere again. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think my understanding is that um, engines are quite sort of, you can take them off one and put them on the other. They're not tied to the aircraft for life, which is, I mean, when we were going on the um, 787 Dreamliner um, things, they had that deep airing order, which meant that you had to, um, have a new engine on each aircraft with an old engine rather than two old engines on one aircraft and two old engines on a, two new engines on another aircraft. Uh, and yeah, that way, sense. if the older one fails, you have a new one that's going to... Um, Hopefully not fail. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think Rolls-Royce <laughs> has pretty much solved the Trent 1000 issues now anyway. Yeah, they were down into like Single 10 or something, mm. weren't they, earlier in the year? So I think uh, by the time all the Dreamliners are back in service, they'll yeah. all be done and dusted. So uh, yeah, there's probably well, more on the ground for other reasons now. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Mm. So uh, from something old and on its way out to something new and on its way in. So over the weekend, we saw Emirates take delivery of its newest A380 Super Jumbo. Um, so, you know, Emirates is best known for having a huge fleet of these aircraft whereas nobody else has really got any um so like it's no big deal to see a new one arriving but it is the first new one they've had for a little while and it's one of the last to roll off the airbus production line um so uh, technically they took delivery on december the 4th but actually it flew mm. overnight and arrived with them on december the 5th so you know it depends uh, where you live i guess what date they actually got it delivered um I and think this one was technically uh, it's sort of like when the the paperwork is signed is the official 
date of delivery. Yeah, but, so um, 4th, 4th yeah. of December, although it didn't touch the soil in the UAE until, uh, well, I mean, until the A&A's, next day. ANA's um, A380 has already been delivered and that's still sat in Hamburg, I'm pretty sure, or Toulouse. <laughs> that's so. very true. Very true. Mm. So this one is registered A6EVL. Um, and there were a couple of reasons to be a bit excited. First of all, it arrived on sustainable aviation fuel or a, a blend of SAF and, and new, normal jet fuel. Um, and this is the first Emirates A380 to be flown uh, using sustainable fuel. And this one was made out of some spent cooking oil in Finland. So all pretty cool stuff for Emirates hmm. to prove that the A380 can do that. Um, but we were hoping that it would also have something else new on board, and it hmm. didn't. So but Emirates, of course, as I'm sure people know, um, they're debut debuting a premium economy cabin. And the A380s that are coming in are the first aircraft to have this cabin. They're the first Middle East airline to have premium economy. So, you know, everybody's really quite excited about it. Hmm. Um, and actually, in a, a statement the airline sent to us today, they said that um, the premium economy is on one of the next two A380s. So they're not really telling us which one, yeah. um, but they're expecting another two before the end of December. So we should know more then. Um, we're putting our money on the next arrival being A6 EVM because according mm. to uh, AIB Family Flights, it's already done 10 test flights. So it's and literally chomping at the bit, ready to go. <laughs> um so what do we know about the premium economy so far? Not a lot, really. Um, there's been lots of speculation on what seat product they'll use. Um, and Sir Tim Clark, who's obviously the president at Emirates, has let a few things slip in various interviews. Mm. So we know it's got a good 10-inch recline, which is like double what Virgin's got on their, um, their premium economy. Mm. So it's going to be pretty good. It's got a cradle for the legs and feet to form some sort of railway-style sleeperette, he described it as. So... Uh, it won't be flat because obviously mm. that's reserved for business class. We can't be giving people that aren't flying business flat seats, can yeah. we now? So um, it will be in a separate cabin and it will be, by all accounts, something really quite comfortable. And, you know, for us plebs that really can't scrimp to save to go in business class, it's going to be a nice little upgrade for yeah. those super long Emirates flights, I think, um, that's somewhere between economy and business. Um, and on the A380s with no first class, it will be on the upper deck, which okay. is quite exciting. I'd love to go up the stairs to uh, to take my trip with Emirates. Well, I mean, you'd probably end up just boarding the upper deck on the upper jetway. That's true. That's true. I'd have to... Do They they have stairs, though, don't they, in yeah. the cabin? They've I'd got have to run up and down and the stairs a few times just to just mm. for the fun of it, I think. So, uh, so we'll know more later this month, hopefully. And after these two in December, that leaves just five A380s to be delivered from Airbus. So sad times. Um, there's probably some more coming. So they're all for Emirates, of course. Yeah. There's probably some more coming in 2021. Um, and last week we heard a, a bit of a rumour, it's unconfirmed, that the last ones won't be delivered until 2022. Mm. So uh, an aviation journalist that we, we kind of follow who's based in Germany, he said that two will come in April 22 and the final one in May 22. This obviously isn't confirmed by the airline, but uh, it seems pretty likely because yeah. they're, they're really not rushing to put their A380s back in service. Service. So, Unless you, you know, what this London. means is, well, yeah, <laughs> what this means is Airbus will have wrapped up the program a long, long time before it will be able to get rid of those last couple of aircraft. Mm. So, uh, yeah, they're going to have to find parking space for at least a year by the looks of it. Mm. 
Okay. Well, you talked about, I talked about something old. You talked about something new. Um, so now I'm going to talk about something blue because that's how you go, isn't it? Um, and specifically, <laughs> I want to talk about Ryanair, um, the best low-cost carrier in Europe, if you ask me. <laughs> um, and specifically their 737 MAX order um, because we've seen, like since the 737 has been, uh, MAX has been grounded, I think we've only seen two firm orders from Enterair, the Polish airline in um, the summer. And I mean, it's no surprise that Ryanair has placed a big order for the MAX because firstly, it's um, sort of like them to um, hit Boeing when they're down, if, if um, so to speak. Um, although I don't think they're, I don't think they're on sort of taking advantage of Boeing in a malicious way. Um, no. I think they're just sort of the situation is there and like somebody's got to order Max's first. Why not Ryanair? <laughs> they um, are one of Boeing's best customers. So yeah. why not indeed? I'm well, sure they've got a very good deal as well. <laughs> I don't think they're going to be a great Airbus customer anytime soon after O'Leary said that Boeing makes better aircraft than Airbus. Um, <laughs> I think I think Boeing makes more more uh, cheaper aircraft than Airbus. Yeah, <laughs> That's well, what it comes down to, basically. <laughs> he did say, though, that um, he didn't think the discount was enough, but that um, Dave Calhoun probably thought that it was too much. Um, well, but anyway, I think I think O'Leary would quite happily take them for free if he could. So yeah, that <laughs> doesn't say much. Um, so they've ordered um, seventy-five more 737 MAXs, bringing the total to 210 aircraft that they're due to get. Um, and as such, the deal is now worth over $22 billion. Um, I'm not going to sort of go into all the specifics of the order because I'm sure lots of people have read that. But one thing that I did find interesting um, was to do with how, I mean, like if there's ever a press release on a MAX from Boeing, it's always interesting to see who said what. Um, <laughs> And O'Leary didn't sort of shy away from using the term MAX, um, but throughout his presentation that he showed, the aircraft was written as the Boeing 737-8200. That's Um, a mouthful. (laughs) Yeah, it's um, interesting. But I mean, like both um, him and um, Boeing said in the Q&A afterwards that they have no issue with using the term MAX. And um, O'Leary even said that customers will enjoy flying on this aircraft. Um, which I mean is it's one that's going to cause discussion. I mean, personally, you know, I would happily fly on this thing because I I trust that Ryanair wouldn't fly it unless they genuinely thought it was safe. Yeah, well, um, absolutely. I mean, I don't think the FAA would allow anybody to even <laughs> start the engines on one unless they were absolutely sure it was safe. So, well, yeah, uh, I mean, well, this is the thing, though. You know, you've got Boeing saying it's safe and the FAA saying it's safe, but. Um, it would really be Ryanair saying that it's safe um, that does it for me because it's it's sort of in in Boeing and the FAA's interests still, you know, like that's yeah. – I know that, that they say they've um, gone through all these processes and I trust they have, but, you know, it's just – nice to sort of have a third party also say it you know yeah but I do think you know in a lot of ways O'Leary's looking at the numbers because uh, I've listened to him talk a lot recently Mm. and he loves to wheel out the statistic that he'll be able to fly 4% more passengers for 16% less CO2 emissions but then now that's not only 16% less CO2 emissions that's 16% less fuel which makes it a much more profitable aircraft as he keeps calling it the game changer you can only fly 4% more passengers if you sell 4% more seats and this is where the sort <laughs> That's of big, very true. this is where my big issue with um 
what's going on is because at the moment Ryanair has said like because of the way their schedule works they can't tell you if you're flying on a max in advance which is fair mm-hmm. enough um i know with the 737 200 um, 800s they can swap them around like on the day or the day before um but you all you you need to know that if you're flying a max to be able to sell the seats on it and to yeah. sell the overwing exit the additional overwing exit for a, pro- a profit so yeah they're going to be wanting to charge for those extra leg room seats yeah. and they not <laughs> so either they don't tell you if you're flying on a max and then um, they don't sell the extra seats or um, they do tell you you're flying on a max and you um, be able to see from the seat chart that it's a max even if they don't say otherwise so um, yeah, true. that's one to watch out for. I did ask Ryanair, and at the time they said they had nothing to add on that. So, yeah, well, um, he said in an interview today that if people want to deplane, they can deplane yeah. and catch the next flight. So, you know, if there's not a flight for three days, that's really, yeah. you know, you voluntarily deplaned. So, or off if you it's go. like a once a week <laughs> flight, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> but that is that in itself is an evolution on what he told me in March when I chatted to him. He said it would be refunds. So, yeah, very different, very mm. different. But I think they're very confident that it's going to be a great aircraft. And yeah. uh, I think, you know, in some ways what he said is right, that for most people, they don't really care what aircraft they're on because yeah. they get in, it's got a nice new cabin, they've got plenty of leg room, you know, they've got a window seat, so they're happy. Yeah. And uh, they don't really care what the designation is as long as it gets them there safely for a, fa- a cheap fare. So yeah. uh, well, I, mean, I, was I think chatting he's, he's to got someone, a point there, really. <laughs> and I was chatting to someone not so into aviation and I said, would you fly on the Max? And they were like, well, no, but I would probably just get on one without realising. Yeah, exactly. I think that's going to be the case for, you know, Many. 90% yeah. of uh, Ryanair's customers who mm. aren't so uh, stupidly into airplanes as we are. <laughs> and sort of just quickly to sort of wrap up, up on the 737 MAX, I also wanted to point out that um, American Airlines flew the aircraft um, last week. And actually, to show that they trust the aircraft, they put their CEO and his wife on it. Um, and I mean, you can kind of expect the CEO to have to go on the aircraft before it's recertified. But again, with this uh, trust thing, I don't think like you wouldn't risk your husband or wife on the aircraft if you weren't a hundred percent certain that no, quite um, the aircraft was safe. So I think it's just. Um, but, I mean, obviously There's definitely the, some ground to be made up on the yeah. trust issue, but I don't think it will be a huge hurdle to overcome just as yeah. long as nothing else happens. <laughs> yeah, well, Can you I imagine? Mean, yeah, I do. I'm very worried about the day when... There's um, something not to do with the MCAS, uh, like a completely yeah, like a unrelated bird strike thing. Or, yeah. Uh, yeah, they have to return to the yeah. airport or do a go you know, around. Everybody will be going crazy. Yeah, except us. We'll be like, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's that sort of wraps up my max thing. American will start flying the aircraft again before the end of the year. Um, I think um, we have people on the first passenger flight they're doing um so that's something oh, to watch amazing. out for if you're That'll a regular yeah. reader so ryanair's got its new airplanes on the way it's got its new management team in place what else does it need um what it needs actually is for europe to become to open <laughs> and uh, they got a bit of a win last week because there was a new guideline published by um, the European Centre for Disease Prevention and Control, or ECDC, which I love because it sounds like an old rock band, (laughs) and the European Union Aviation Safety Agency, EASA, as we like to call them Mm. in the 
in the knowledge. Um, and uh, so what they said, they looked at kind of all the statistics and all the fundamentals of air travel and, and what they've learned about passengers and COVID so far. Um, and their guidelines say that arriving passengers should no longer be forced to quarantine. Um, they say that people who have been traveling during the pandemic or people who are traveling should not be considered high risk for spreading infection mm. and that they should be treated the same as members of the local population who have not had direct contact with a COVID-19 infected person. Mm. Um, you know, in fact, they evaluated that air travelers accounted for less than 1% of all detected COVID-19 cases. Yeah. Now, obviously, these are guidelines. These are pretty big agencies in Europe in terms of, you know, issuing guidelines and people generally following along. Um, so, of course, the aviation community was massively excited by this. And we got all sorts of press releases from all sorts of different bodies saying, yeah, we love this and mm. please stop the quarantine now. Um, and lots of sort of trending hashtags on Twitter about stop locking us down and stop the madness and all this mm. sort of nonsense. So, um, but as yet, nothing's changed, um, which is yeah. slightly disappointing, I expect, for people who are, would really love to come home for Christmas. Um, but the, the argument is that because COVID's already well established in mm. all European Union and European economic areas, I mean, you know, to be frank, it's established in most parts of the globe. Yeah. Um, so maintaining quarantine is no longer necessary. It's kind of pointless. Well, and they even went so far as to say that even testing would only serve to divert resources away from more urgent needs, such as contact tracing. Mm. So, you know, they're basically saying, let people move. Mm. <laughs> um, I mean, and Ryanair, our favorite airline, they openly joined in the conversation on Twitter, urging governments to act now and stop preventing people from moving. But as I say, at the time of releasing this podcast, uh, nobody's done anything yet. But it is good news. And mm. hopefully we're a step on the way towards being able to travel around a bit more openly and freely within Europe. So uh, well, something that I know you'd love, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I, to be um, frank, I don't see um, Britain changing their stance anytime soon, regardless. Um, not, not so much because of Brexit, as people might think um, I'm alluding at there, but just because in this uh, sort of general handling of the pandemic, you know, they've very much been forging their own path um, yeah. in terms of quarantines and travel restrictions. Um, but it's interesting because I do agree with what you're saying. Um, and it was something that was mentioned when I was on the um, media call of the Asia Pacific Airline um, Association. Um, they were talking about the if you've got two countries with relatively level numbers of um, COVID-19 with the same sort of um, in, um, restrictions in place in either place, like what does it matter if people um, transfer between the two? Because, no, you know, exactly. even if... Like at the moment, the UK and Germany, just to take my favourite example, are both high <laughs> risk. But, yeah. you know, like if you're coming from like the the UK, one of them is higher than the other. But, but not um, by much, is it? I well, think no, but if higher, you think but... about it, say, say for, I don't know the exact numbers for today, but say that the numbers in the UK are higher. The UK is still blocking people coming from Germany, which is a country with lower numbers. Yeah, well, this was the argument way back when, you know, when yeah. uh, all this quarantine business first started, that we were, you know, quarantining people who stood much less of a chance of having coronavirus than people mm. that were walking around Tesco, you yeah. know, two feet away from us. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a bit of madness and hopefully they will relax things. But mm. I don't know if we'll see it this side of Christmas. And I mean, just 
to um, finally sum up that point, what is the difference between me going from Berlin to Frankfurt on a 12-hour train and me going from, um, say, rural London to uh, rural London, um, rural England <laughs> um, to Frankfurt on a plane? You know, yeah. it's, um, I know which one I'm probably more likely to catch COVID on, if any of them. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's, it's just, it's, I hope it gets sorted soon. Um, definitely definitely so anyway as we're on the topic of Germany why don't you tell us about about Germany's runway problem Tom yeah so um having a runway problem sounds um like an interesting one but Germany seems to have a runway problem um because its major airports are actually having to close runways because they have too many and you may be thinking <laughs> well what, what's the problem with having too many runways you know it's just a piece of um asphalt or um, whatnot in the ground. Um, but take, for example, Frankfurt, which is closing their northwest runway. Uh, because the runway is so far from the main airport, it has to have its own fire station um, yeah. to deal with any incidents. So you've got to crew that. You've got maybe more resources in air traffic control having to deal with the open runway. And then you've got to have people inspect the runway for debris. So it, it sounds like you may think like there's no cost associated to having a runway, but actually it does... Um, add up apparently uh so <laughs> frankfurt is thinking of closing its northwest runway which would it makes sense out of all the runways if you're going to close one there because it's um over a bridge um that goes yeah. over railway lines and roads a bit like that one that's in the middle of nowhere in uh Schiphol. oh um, yeah you know yeah. you've got it's it's not I, i've landed on there before and it when i whenever i see from the window that we're on the line to land there i always get really upset because you just know it's going to be a really long taxi when you get to uh, get <laughs> yeah. on the ground so it, it makes sense to close that one if any um but frankfurt isn't the only one closing a runway and the next one that i'm going to tell you about i think is just great because it summarizes 2020 it summarizes um, Berlin Airport in, um, you know, you thought that it was over. You thought all of the problems had ended, but no. Um, so on the 4th of November, Berlin Airport opened its new runway uh, to the south of the new terminal. Yeah, and the international runway, am I right? Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily international. They're both international. Oh, just, just the runway, okay. Um, just just a new runway. Um, but um, Qatar Airways was like the first to land on it. There was a big celebration. And then EasyJet was the first to have a bird strike on it later in the day. Um, <laughs> fun fact. As you do. Yeah. Um, but it seems like that's just too much for the airport. They're already closing this runway after they haven't said exactly when it's closed and it may already been closed. I don't know. But um, after just three weeks of operating this runway, Berlin Airport said it would be closing. Um, <laughs> and it's... It's understandable why they close it, but I think it just adds to the sort of comedic the ridiculousness, ridiculousness of Berlin of, Brandenburg. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> they just don't get to catch a break at that airport, do they? Yeah, I know. Well, and you'd be very pleased to know that um, your favourite terminal in the world is also <laughs> closing for oh, a minimum. Good. It's closing for a minimum of a year at the moment. So um, from March oh, wow. twenty-one until twenty-two. Um, Terminal 5 or Schoenfeld, as most people know it, will be closing, uh, oh, which is the terminal that Ryanair and all that use. Um, and it has obviously cheaper costs because it's not as nice, um, to put it <laughs> politely, because um, I can't say the other word on a podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's interesting because obviously Ryanair, if they keep flying to Berlin, are going to have to um, use Terminal 2 or Terminal 1, which is going to be an interesting to 
position to see what they're in because obviously when um, Ryanair came to Frankfurt, they were going to get a discount which really peed off Lufthansa, uh, yeah. who said they wanted the discount as well. So someone's not going to be happy at Termin- um, at Terminal 1 and 2 because either Ryanair is going to have to pay more and they're not going to be happy or they're going to have to pay less and then the other carriers are not going to be happy saying, well, we're <laughs> paying more to happily use these terminals. Um, so I'm kind of interested to uh, see what happens there, but I'm also kind of wondering if it might be the end for Terminal 5 because if you're going to close it for a year... Why open it again? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, unless you're going to seriously renovate it and make it much nicer, in which yeah. case the, the low costs probably won't be able to afford to land there anyway. So. Yeah, it's, um, well, it's an interesting one. We'll see what happens. Um, I don't think many people will miss it if it doesn't open again, um, <laughs> like unlike Tegel. But, um, you know, watch this space. Absolutely. Wait and see. Watch Mm. this space. That's it, isn't it, Tom? Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's about all we've got time for for today's podcast. We do hope you enjoyed it and welcome any feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.